We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. I hope you've enjoyed the morning thus far. God is good to us. I just love being able to celebrate Jesus Christ because He is the reason we are here. He is the reason there's a thing called Christianity. So we've come to celebrate Him this morning. Take your Bibles. I'm not going to be long today because we have a couple of other things yet to do before we finish our service this morning. But I want to finish the message I began last week when I talked to you about the four things that Mary kept from Christmas. Eternal truths that we can hold forever they're revealed through the birth of Jesus Christ. So in Luke chapter 2, verses 19 and 51, you find these words written, Luke 2, 19. But Mary kept these things in her heart and pondered them. And then in verse 51 it says, But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Last week we talked about the fact that after the shepherds left, Mary kept the Lamb of God. And then we talked about the fact that Jesus came as the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. But when He comes again, He's not coming as a lamb, He's coming as a lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the conquering King. And I want you to understand that. So many times we view Jesus as this doodamp hair, bambi-eyed, soft-spoken, effeminate type of guy. I've got news for you. That's the least from what He was. Jesus Christ was a man's man. He was rough. He was tough. He had calluses on his hands. He was a man's man. So when I talk about him, I talk about him as the lion of the tribe of Judah. I talk about him as the coming king, as one who has conquered all and will continue to do so. And that's the vision of Christ I want you to have this morning. Not as the Lamb of God, but as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Secondly, we talked about the fact that when the star ceased to shine, Mary still had held the light of the world. And He is the light of the world. He is the one that points our way to and through God. He is still the light of the world. So this morning, number three, I want to talk to you about the fact that when Mary, excuse me, when the wise men left, Mary kept the Word of God. The Word of God. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, you can actually read the story of the wise men coming in search of the Christ child. When they came to Jerusalem, they began saying, we're here looking for he who is born king of the Jews. But they didn't know where to go. They didn't know where to find him. And when Herod, who was the Roman tetrarch or king over that area, heard that they were looking for the king of the Jews, he sent for all the religious leaders. He sent for the, uh, those who knew history and knew prophecy. And he brought them in and he said, where is this king going to be born? And they said to him, in Bethlehem is what the prophecies describe. And you'll read it, it says in, in verse 10, when they saw the star speaking of the wise men, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. So once they knew where to go, suddenly the star appears again, and they follow that star to Bethlehem to find the Christ child. Now, why did the wise men make the journey from the Far East? Think about it. We don't know much about them. We really don't know where they came from. We don't know their religious traditions or heritages. We just simply know that they saw a star in the East, and they followed it to Jerusalem in search of he who was born 
king of the Jews. We know this much. We know that they saw the star and they began following that star without knowing their final destination. When I think about that, it really pictures our faith walk today. Because you and I don't know what the next minute holds, or the next hour, or the next day, or the next month, or the next year, or the next 10 years. But this is what we do know. We can follow Him who is King of the Jews. He always leads us to places of fulfillment and completeness in Him. He is the perfect God who desires to show Himself to you and I as we follow Him. We understand that the wise men didn't know where they were going. They simply knew what their quest was about. They knew they were seeking He who was born King of the Jews. And the Bible says that after they left, Mary still held Jesus Christ. She held on to Him. Luke 2.40 says, As the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon Him. Now, I want you to understand that the birth of Jesus Christ celebrated on December 25th was not a tradition of the early church. Matter of fact, for the first three centuries after Jesus' birth, there was no celebration of his birth. It came about because the Roman king, whose name was Constantine, converted to Christianity. He wanted to convert the entire Roman Empire to Christianity. So he used a pagan festival that was held on December 25th to tie in the birth of Jesus, hoping that the pagans in the Roman world would then convert more easily to Christianity. So we understand, please understand, this is not the birthday of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, if you really look at things and study history and understand prophecy, you know that probably he was actually born in the spring of the year rather than in the wintertime. Sorry about that, hate to burst your bubble, but that's simply the way it really is. So we read it and it says, The child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And then we can read in Luke chapter 2 that when he was 12 years old, where were they living? In Nazareth. That was the hometown of his father, Joseph. They again made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And it says when Jesus was 12 years old. They made that pilgrimage. Y'all remember what happened? They went to observe the feast. And in the, in the midst of the confusion in the crowd, Jesus was separated from Mary and Joseph. They probably thought he was with some other members of, his com- of their company. They didn't worry about him. Matter of fact, they left and started back to Nazareth before they realized Jesus wasn't with them. And when they did, they turned and came back to Jerusalem searching for their son, Jesus. And when they found him, where was he? He was in the temple. What was he doing? He was having religious debates and conversations with the leaders of Judaism. That's amazing, is it not? Now here's what's even more amazing and points to the fact that December 25th is not his birthday. In that instance, when he came to Jerusalem, the Bible specifically says he was 12 years old. You can read it. It's there in Luke chapter 2. But a 12-year-old child would not be allowed to sit in the temple and reason with the scholars and the priests. Something happened on that journey. And what happened, I believe, in Judaism, when a young man turns 13, he's considered a man. They call it a bar mitzvah to celebrate his moving into manhood. 
So I believe at that point in time, at some point in that journey, Jesus was no longer 12, but he had a birthday. He turned 13. That enabled him by the law to sit in the temple and reason, debate with the scribes, the Pharisees, the priests, etc., etc. We can read it in Luke chapter 2, verse 47. It says, And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. All who heard him. Luke chapter 2, verse 52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in the favor with God and man. So I've come to tell you that when the wise men went back to the east, Mary held the word of God. She held the wisdom of God in the person of Jesus Christ. We understand that when we read the story of creation, Jesus was there. He spoke the worlds into existence, separated light from darkness, separated land from sea. He created all that was and all that is and all that will ever be. Paul tells us that very, very clearly in his writings. We understand he is the agent of creation. So we ask ourselves, who is this Word of God? Well, John said it this way in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 of John 1, he said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now let me back up. Why did the wise men come to Jerusalem? They came to worship he who was born king of the Jews. They came to worship. That's the only reason they came, to meet and worship he who was born king of the Jews. They came to exalt him and to acknowledge his position and who he really was. Now you fast forward 33 years. Jesus is standing before Pilate. He's being judged for his very life. And Pilate says to him in John chapter 18, verse 37, Are you a king then? See, because that was the accusation the Jews brought against him. He claims to be king of the Jews, and they knew that would make the Roman government upset and probably put him to death. Pilate said to him, Are you then a king? And Jesus answered and said, You say rightly, I am a king. You're correct, I am a king. And then this phrase, I love it. For this cause was I born. For this cause came I into the world. Let me tell you something. When the wise men went back to the east, Mary retained the word of God who was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It played out through the entirety of his life. It was culminated when he hung upon the cross and the title over him was King of the Jews. Prophetically written prophetically written, maybe sarcastically, but yet no, no less the truth, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, it's interesting, when I read the story of the wise men in Luke chapter, or excuse me, in Matthew chapter 2, I find something that really catches my attention. Because it says, the wise men said, where is he born King of the Jews? We have come to worship him. But then you note, Herod says to them, when you find him, Come back and tell me that I may worship him too. Now, the question is, was Herod really wanting to worship him? The obvious answer is no, because read chapter 3 of Matthew, and he executed every child under two years of age in the whole region. He didn't want to worship Jesus. So then that begs the question, well, was he concerned about a rival, a new king coming on the scene? Is that really the issue? Are you kidding me? 
He is the Roman tetrarch. He could easily wipe out a two-year-old. A two-year-old was no threat to him. Has to be something deeper. Has to be something more that motivated Herod to kill every male child under the age of two. What would that be? Well, to know, you have to understand Herod's history. You have to understand his lineage and the lineage of the Jews. Herod was an Edomite. That's the tribe he was from. Edomites were descendants of Esau. Edom means red. Esau means red. Herod was a descendant of Esau. Now, to fully understand that, you have to go back to Isaac. Remember Isaac? Abraham and Sarah had Isaac. He was the son of promise. Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And you remember the story that Esau, there were twins. Esau was born first. Jacob came out holding on to Esau's heel. They called him Jacob, the supplanter, later the deceiver. Later, this man named Jacob had his name changed to Israel, and he became the father of the tribes of Israel. So here we have Herod, who is an Edomite, hearing the news about the king of the Jews, who flows through the lineage of David, who flows from the lineage of Jacob or Israel, being born in his area. So Herod is thinking at this point in time, now I know the story, Jacob basically stole the birthright from Esau. You remember the story? Esau was a man of the fields. Jacob, it says, was a man of the tents, whatever that means. But Esau had been out hunting. He came in and he was famished, so hungry. And Jacob was cooking stew. And he said, please just give me a bowl of that stew. And Jacob, being the shrewd devil that he was, said, well, I'll sell it to you. If you'll give me your birthright, I'll give you a bowl of stew. And Esau obviously didn't value the birthright, so he agreed to that, and he did it. He sold his birthright. Really, Jacob stole it for a bowl of soup. And you know what the birthright means, don't you? It means he got twice the inheritance. He became the head of the family. He determined decisions for the entire clan. He determined the worship methods and structures. It was a very, very important thing to receive the birthright, which always went to the firstborn. And then you continue to read the story in Genesis... And you'll find that there came a time when Jacob's mother heard her husband, Isaac, say to Esau, go out and, and find me some fresh game and cook me that spicy stew that I love. And when you come back, then I'm going to bless you. See, because in Israel, there was a birthright and then there was a blessing. And Esau valued the blessing. So he went out to do as said, but in the meantime... Jacob prepared to steal the blessing. He had already stolen the birthright for a bowl of soup. Now he's going to steal the blessing from Esau as well. Put on Esau's clothes, put hair on his, animal hair on his arms, walked in and talked to his father, had to convince his father that, yeah, I really am Esau, and then his father blessed him. You see, that blessing was like a last will and testament. That blessing said, whoever you bless will be blessed. Whoever curses you will be blessed cursed. It's like passing on the Abrahamic blessing that came directly from God and it went to Jacob rather than Esau. So now Herod's sitting here. He hears about this one born king of the Jews. He's wondering, could it be that if I kill this infant, I can restore the household to my lineage? Could it be that what Jacob stole on this time years ago can be restored to the household of Esau? I believe that's the reason 
He ordered every child under two years old to be murdered, not because he was afraid of a baby, a two-year-old, but because he understood the lineage. He understood the bloodline. He understood the birthright. He understood the blessing. And he wanted to recoup that, recover that for the house of Esau rather than for the house of Jacob. Friend, we need to realize there is so much in this Christmas story that we let go right over our heads. We don't even think about it. Another thing I want you to think about, we'll talk about this next year, is when you actually read the story of Abraham and Sarah, didn't Sarah try to rush the plan of God? The plan of God had been revealed. He said to Abraham, you're going to have a son. He'll be the father of many nations. And after a period of years, Sarah was still barren. No child was born. So she did a fast forward on the plan of God. Brought in Haggai. She had a child named Ishmael. Ishmael then became a thorn under Sarah's flesh. She had Abraham drive them out and drive him off. Because any time we fast forward the plan of God, we mess it up. Can I challenge you today to be patient and let God do what God does in God's time? Because when we are in, we are in that position, we see marvelous and amazing things. And we don't have near the carnage and shipwrecks we have when we try to fast forward God's plan. You see, Jacob and Esau's mother tried to do the same thing. When she was carrying these twin boys, you can read it in Genesis chapter 27, it says they were almost fighting within her. And she went to God and said, God, why is this? And God said, two nations are coming out of your womb. And the younger will rule over the elder. Listen to me. If God said it, you don't need to try to improve upon it. If God spoke it, you don't need to try to put it in action quicker. Because the blessing would have went to Jacob anyway, because God already spoke it. But what happened as a result of Rachel meddling in this, in the, or Rebecca meddling in this stuff. What happened as the result was that there was such enmity between Esau and Jacob. They become enemies for years, for years. That's what happens when we fast forward the plan of God. See, God's plan was already in place. Herod decided, I'm going to recover what we lost thousands of years ago and restore to the household of Esau, the Edomites, what is rightfully Hours, And as a result, he killed every child under the age of two. You know the story. The angel warned Joseph, get out. And they fled to Egypt. And it's amazing that the very gifts the wise men brought, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh, were the things that sustained him for that time in Egypt. It was the source of income for that time in Egypt. It's amazing where God plans things out and makes it happen, is it not? We, we get so concerned about today. Do you understand that if God could take wise men from the east, bring them to Jerusalem, help them discover the Christ child, he was born king of the Jews, have them give gifts of great value, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, so that Jesus and his family would be provided for in the years ahead, he surely can take care of you. Surely he can take care of you. So stop doubting. Stop worrying. Stop wringing your hands with anxiety and rest in the plan of God. Let God prove himself to you in a mighty and a wonderful way. And number four, when the gold, frankincense, and myrrh were spent, Mary kept the greatest treasure in all the world, Jesus Christ. The greatest gift ever given, the greatest treasure ever presented to mankind is the man, 
Jesus Christ. Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, God with us. The angel said to Joseph, you're not going to name him after your family line. You're going to name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Isaiah said, you're going to name him Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Oh, if you've experienced Jesus in any of those areas, can you say thank you, Father? Thank you for your Son. Thank you for Emmanuel. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the one who is wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, my Prince of Peace. That's who He is. In the shortest parable that Jesus ever gave, <clears throat> you'll found it and find it in Matthew 13. The shortest parable ever, verse 44. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Why did he give the parable? To show us what the kingdom of heaven is like. He's saying the kingdom of heaven brought to us through Jesus Christ is the greatest treasure we could ever find. Now think about it. 15 minutes before in this parable, the guy hadn't even thought about selling everything that he had and buying this field. It was only after he discovered the treasure that he was willing to sell everything else that he had and buy this field. Oh, hear me, church. It's time for you and I to be 100% committed to the kingdom of God and the greatest treasure of all kind. We need to understand what Jesus is saying. There's nothing on this earth that can compare to the gift of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> nothing can compare to the gift of this treasure. 15 minutes before in the parable, guy didn't even think about selling everything he had and buying this field. But once he found the treasure, everything changed. Once he discovered the treasure, his priorities changed. Once he discovered the treasure, everything he desired altered its course. And he sold everything that he had just to have the treasure. This morning, can I challenge you? The greatest treasure you will ever hold is not the money that's in the bank, the house that you live in, the clothes that you wear, the jewelry that you adorn. The greatest treasure you'll ever have is not your 401k. It's not your IRA. The greatest treasure you will ever have is the Lord Jesus Christ, who was born King of the Jews. Mary held the Lamb of God, who is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Mary held the light of the world. Mary held the Word of God, the wisdom of God. And Mary held the greatest treasure ever given to mankind. Bow your heads with me. The Apostle Paul said it this way when he's talking about finding Jesus Christ or Jesus finding him. He said, but whatever were gained to me, I consider lost for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. In the book of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prayed this prayer, not only for the church in Ephesus, but for you and me. He said, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. 
My question this morning, is there anything better than knowing Jesus? Is there anything better than knowing Jesus? He forgives us. He cleanses us. He restores us and renews us. He puts our feet on right paths. He guides and directs our steps. He never leaves us and never forsakes us. He loves us with a love we can only imagine. Is there anything better than knowing Jesus? I would have to say to you from my perspective, there's nothing better. You can take everything I own, everything that I claim to possess, and if I were left a pauper with only the clothes on my back, I would still look you in the eye and say, there's nothing better than knowing Jesus. Because Jesus will see me through. Jesus will meet my need. Jesus will provide for me. Jesus will console me in times of sorrow. Jesus will counsel me in times of confusion. And Jesus forgives me every single day. There's nothing better than knowing Jesus. If you're sitting there this morning, you say, that may be something I ought to check into. Investigate a little further. You need to accept Jesus to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you come to church this morning just expecting some great music, but you had an encounter with God. His Holy Spirit is convicting you right now of your need to know Jesus. Right where you sit, you say, Pastor, more than anything, I want to find that great treasure. I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. That's you right where you sit. Slip up your hand and say, pray for me. Pray for me. As I wait a moment, that's you. You need to know Jesus. Yes, sir. Anyone else? Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.